As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Thursday afternoon and we are still waiting uh, for any definitive news or insight into what is happening with the Washington commanders uh, possible sale. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more in this episode with our pal Grant Paulson from 1067, the fan grant and I talked about the ownership. We talked about what the new owner needs to do uh, once they were to take control. Uh, we also discussed this uh, Canadian billionaire who was mentioned as a possible bidder uh, just yesterday. We'll, we'll discuss what that could mean, but also we get into the football things. Is this team better, worse, or the same since uh, free agency started? And I have a really, really fun draft theory that some of you will question my sobriety when I mention it, but if you really stop to think about it, it actually kind of makes sense for Washington in the first round so, or even the second round, I guess. So we'll get to that as well here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you do your podcasting. If you are just coming in on this episode, the previous episode was all about the business of the commanders. Eben Novi Williams from Sportico joined me. Eben was the one that broke the news about Magic Johnson joining the commander's bid. We discussed what that could mean. Uh, for this team, if Josh Harris takes over, uh, but also just the latest on the sale, what what Evan is hearing, and he says not to rule out Jeff Bezos. So go check that out. In addition, in that episode, John Oran from Sports Business Journal, a friend of mine, joined me to discuss the 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 more local business of the Commanders. Uh, the the relationship with NBC Sports Washington is ending. And we discuss that and also what is the commander's brand? Uh, what happens to the brand with a new owner? What, is it, what, what opportunities could that mean? You know, could you host an NFL draft, for an example, in D.C. with, with, a, with a new owner? Uh, get into all that as well. All right. Um, here and also let me just make sure to say, you know, next week is the owners meeting. It's going to be very busy. I will be heading there this weekend. Don't miss anything. Subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, right now, we have a deal. $1 a month for 12 months. I mean, I, look, I'm not, I never want to tell anybody how to spend their money, but obviously that is a pretty 
impressive deal. $1 a month for 12 months. If you do that, you'll get all my content, not to mention David Aldridge, not to mention all the teams in town, all the teams in all the leagues, EPL, everything. It is a great bargain to do that. Just go click on one of my articles. That helps me, helps you. I uh, would do that. And I have a new article up today at Mock Draft 3.0, Commanders Only. Um, all seven rounds for the Commanders. And I wanted to get into this as quickly here as a topic. And that is, so far, I've been mostly doing these mock drafts and making trades. In 2.0, I traded down from 16 down to 31 to get in a bunch of extra picks. In the Athletics Beat Rider mock draft, which we just did this week, I traded down not once but twice to get extra picks. Um, obviously, people like always like that, and I appreciate the the positive vibes for these projections, but people love the, the trade downs for the extra picks. Um, and that's part of why I, I, I do it, and, and I explained this in the article. When you look at the commanders, look very... Um, you know, it's unlikely they're going to go out and make any big splashy uh, veteran additions. So the best way for them to fill holes is going to be in the draft. And, you know, they have picks in, in rounds one, two, three, and four, but you could use more. Um, and, and, you know, there's good depth, I think, at, at, at cornerback in particular, at tight end. Uh, there's some offensive line depth into day two. So I think that's a good way to go. But that's not why, when I sit and think about it, that's not been why. I've been trading down completely. I look at these mock drafts as, as an attempt to take a realistic look at what could happen. So like, for example, when we do the mock draft with the athletic sitting there at 16 for me was Illinois cornerback, Devin Witherspoon on the surface. This is a relative no brainer. Witherspoon is constantly projected as a top 15 pick in the draft. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback from Oregon is largely viewed as the number one corner in the class, but Witherspoon is right there with him. Joey Porter Jr. from Pittsburgh, a little bit lower, among others. And the thing is, if I said Witherspoon's there and I had drafted that, people would tell me, wow, great job, Ben. But here's the thing, like, who cares? <laughs> who cares what I come up with in a mock draft in this regard? Now, it's one thing if I'm doing a mock draft, like I'm telling you source this or whatever, or it's just, you know, I can manipulate these things however I want. I can, as anybody can, and that's often, honestly, what happens in these mock drafts. You want to get a player at a certain range or, or, or you drop them because you want them with a certain team or whatever it may be. But what does it mean if Devin Witherspoon, I have him there at 16, if it doesn't look like he actually will be there at 16? Now, I don't know. There's always, a, you know, some players who slide further than you think, right? Always happens. And he could be one of them. But in general, based on the way people talk about him, where is he projections? I, I, I think it's pretty com. I feel pretty confident he's not going to be there at 16. That would be my guess. And so what's the point, like I said, of just saying, well, they hear Devin Weatherspoon. Yeah, of course, we all get it. That would be great, you know, <laughs> for, for what Washington's needs are and based on the perception of the player. Just like it would be great if, say, Broderick Jones or or one of the top tackles in this draft, Paris Johnson, who who was going to get picked ahead of Washington, one of them were to fall. You'd be like, wow, unbelievable. It doesn't mean anything. So I started looking at it from that perspective. Like, this is why, to me, trading down is as important for Washington, perhaps, as getting the extra picks. Because 
if the three top three tackles are gone and the top two cornerbacks are gone, the field of play feels that for me, the value for Washington, even if they take a player, those spots may not be as good, may, may not be ideal. I know Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State's there. Look, I don't pretend I'm a scout the way that the others are, but I don't get the sense that his he's a press corner. I don't get the sense that that's a great fit for Washington athletically, maybe, but style wise, I don't know if I see that. Now, maybe the coaches do, but I don't know if I see that. So then from there, you get to the Deontay Banks, Cam Smith, um, you know, some other uh, Eli- uh, Emmanuel Forbes. All these players could be that at range, but it feels like they're all a little bit lower. And ultimately, this is a point that Mark Bullock made to me on Twitter today when I tweeted out the mock that I had and what and the player I had at 16, which I'll get to in a second. And he was like, I think this will be a pick that people will question the value and then eventually say it's fine because they'll play well. And and there's some something there. But the point of value is also taking advantage of the opportunities. You know, if you can trade down, because there will be almost assuredly wide receivers there. Uh, Jordan Addison from USC, uh, Quentin Johnson from TCU, among others. Well, I don't think I don't think Washington's taking one of those guys, but other teams may be willing to move up for it. So try to take advantage of that if you find that you have players that you, you know, multiple players you like further down the board. Um, so I think that's an important consideration. Like Bijan Robinson would be another one, the running back from Texas. I don't think Washington's in the market for a running back, but other teams would pretty much like him. And at 16, it starts getting to the point where a guy who is a top five to 10 prospect on talent starts getting interesting for teams who are, you know, undervaluing or devaluing running backs, but still recognize that this guy in in particular is pretty good. So that's what I was kind of my goal with this mock draft. I didn't want to just keep trading down because that's easy to do. Nobody, you know, I'm negotiating both sides of the deal. So it's easy for me to get that done, but it doesn't really show what is happening. And I think that's what I try to do here. So what did I end up doing here? Well, I ended up going with uh, Darnell Wright, the right tackle from Tennessee, who is going to be coming in for a top 30 visit here with Washington. I reported that out a week or so ago, I think. Um, I don't love the right tackle predominance. Um, He played left tackle in college, switched to right, and that's when he really took off as a prospect. And you might be thinking, well, wait, they just signed Andrew Wiley. Why would you then take a right tackle? Well, Wiley, of course, played guard initially at Kansas City. You could kick him inside with Sam Cosme. All of a sudden, you have two new guards. I mean, that's going to be a pretty interesting-looking lineup. I think that's the type of deal that that makes everybody feel a lot better about the offensive line than where things are at now. Um, But to that point, you know, this is where in this draft, I had the two top cornerbacks off the board, the three tackles off the board, which, again, to me, seems like the most realistic scenario at this point. Uh, which left Washington, again, all the other cornerbacks. Uh, it left Washington all the tight ends. Michael Mayer from Notre Dame uh, among them. I I would be tempted to take one of those tight ends for what it's worth, but Washington's giving no indications that they're moving on from what from Logan Thomas or anything else they have on the roster, so it doesn't seem like there would be a you know, realistic space for one. So I'm moving, you know, maybe take one later in the draft, but for now... I'm saying no in the first round. And uh, you'll look, uh, and you know, so it'd be cornerback or tight end, but in either case, I feel like I, or sorry, cornerback or tackle. I just feel like in either case, I could move down the board, 
get a comparable player a little bit later, maybe even Wright is there in the late teens or early 20s. Um, that's why I would like to trade down, and that's why I didn't. I wanted to just sort of point out that they'll get a quality player, but you know, value is a big deal for me, and I think you want to maximize it to the best of the degree that you can. If you feel like there's a player who's just that good, you can't afford to trade down, okay. But when there's two or three or four considerations on the board and you think trading down is going to get you still get one of them i think that's what you got to make that move so we'll see what happens here obviously in a bit and grant and i talked about this more including the new theory i have as to what washington could do at 16 that i had not considered at all i'll just give you this it has to do with the defensive line i know i know you've i know but I'm just telling you, I think there's something to this. So wait on that, or you can read about it. I wrote about that aspect as well in my new mock draft that's up on The Athletic. Um, all right, so as we're talking right now, it's Thursday. I, you know, nothing new has changed since uh, we got going here today, as far as I'm aware. So, uh, you know, there's, a, there's you know, some rumors and stuff about the ownership deal, but not enough for me to mention them here and give give them a lot of weight right now so we'll see what happens uh obviously i'll continue to podcast from uh phoenix uh schedule all that don't know how that will work uh but i at least have one more podcast in the can that i'll put up probably sunday night or monday morning just to have something there in case there's no news but we'll get going uh for sure um, all right, that said, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Grant Paulson from 1067 The Fan, talking ownership, talking Magic Johnson, talking um, what does the owner need to do, whether the commanders are actually better or worse than free agency started, and my theory on what is a new path that Washington consider in the first round. Right now, here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, uh, very excited to welcome back to the show. One, you know, we, we have multiple reigning champions here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Uh, one of them right here, Grant Paulson, 1067, the fan afternoon drive. But also, it turns out this morning, he's a morning drive guy because he's. I see that Kevin Sheehan has Grant on this morning, which is great, great radio. It's like having, you know, uh, you know, two of the titans of the local radio on, except for the fact that like I had these two guys on my podcast a couple years ago for the first time when they were separate companies. And that's what can be like a big deal. It was like bringing the, you know, the heads of like, you know, the two crime families together 
to like you know ha- have a conversation and now you guys just cut out the middleman you just go straight to each other to skip me out that, that's just fantastic no you you did uh have the original meeting of the two families uh and you brokered the deal which we appreciate that was a lot of fun i'd never done uh radio with talked to kevin i mean i've talked to him on the phone many many times over the years but i'd never actually talked shop in any capacity on air yeah that was cool i went on his show um and got to talk we, we were talking quarterbacks and when the two of us get together generally kirk cousins comes up so we had a good time like to me that would be the the good bit you you two guys like meet up out somewhere in public and both wear are wearing a cousin's jersey i think that would go over very well with the with the people yeah i don't do jerseys at this point in my life i'm a big j journalist i'm kidding about that uh second part a little bit but uh you know the hat i wear now is talk show host there was a time where i dabbled and did some reporting but yeah i'm not a jersey guy but if i was i wouldn't hate the the troll job of it uh, just to just tap dance a little bit in, in victory uh, all these years later. Um, you know, people still think what they think, and that's fine. Uh, we don't need to re-legislate. My point all along was this guy's good, and if you let him go, that uh, it's hard to find someone as good as him. And I would say years later, that's been proven pretty accurate. Uh, for sure. All right. I, I noted that we'll meander, as we just did, to bring in Kirk Cousins three seconds into this. But – I've got five questions that I want to get through here that have to do with kind of where we're at with obviously the ownership situation as well as the football team. Are you prepared for this uh, journey? Yeah, let's get after it. What do you got? All right. So, yeah. So we're talking Wednesday morning. Uh, Grant is uh, driving into uh, into to work. Uh, yesterday uh, came news that a Canadian billionaire, I'm going to absolutely butcher this name, Steve Apostopoulos. Uh, was one of the people that was sort of like these mystery people who had toured the commander's facility and is a possible bidder. I don't know that he's actually bid on it, but a possible bidder. Um, what do you make of the fact that this story just is coming out right now as we are anticipating some news, some movement, maybe even a, 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 an announcement of a of an agreement before the owners' meeting. What do you make of the fact that this just came out right now? And then I'll tell you what I think. Yeah, so Steve Apostolopoulos is the name you're looking for. Thank you. I did say it a bunch yesterday. I've even learned how to spell it pretty well now as well. We had a little spelling bee on the show. So Steve Apostolopoulos. Uh, he's Canadian billionaire. Here's my take. We find things out weeks after they happen. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that is trickling out little by little as people want the information out. The news that is breaking while valuable, I'm not knocking Adam Schefter, but Schefter comes out yesterday and tells us, hey, Steve Apostolopoulos is joining the the hunt for the commanders. He's one of the bidders. He's taking a tour or took a tour. I don't know what he said. The fact is, and I was able to confirm this, I, I kind of knew that the tours had all been done weeks ago. But he took a tour a few weeks back. Um, so the idea that, that people get when they hear this quote-unquote break is that there's a new bidder who's entered the fray and he's taking a tour. And so, like, I had a bunch of people flooding my inbox, meet callers saying, well, wait a second, I thought this thing was further along. And what does this mean? If this guy's just joining now for the Harris Rails group that everyone seems to think is, is inching toward the, the finish here, The fact is, I believe that we find things out weeks after they happen, right? So 
he toured the facility weeks ago. Now, I don't know definitively that he's not getting the team or, or that he is. But my point is the idea that like this weekend, a lot of people, including myself, were hearing that this thing's close to being done can be true. And that Apostolopoulos is involved doesn't change that. Like we don't find things out in real time. So Apostolopoulos has been involved probably for weeks, if not months. And his tour of the facility was weeks ago. And since then, I think a lot of progress has been made and a lot of things have happened that we don't know about. But I stand by the fact that I think, and I wasn't alone in hearing this over the weekend, but we have really closed in on the end of the road here. And it seems imminent that we're going to get the big development from a report that everybody's looking for, which is here's the group and here's what they paid. Now it's time to vote. I don't know that all that's going to happen before the, the meetings this coming week. I've never thought for sure that it was going to. There's a lot of things to line up, but I'd be very surprised if the vote that happens in Minneapolis in May comes and goes uh, that those meetings without a vote on a new owner. So uh, that's my take is it's the equivalent to me of like, I drive into work today and then someone comes out, you know, six hours from now saying, I saw Grant driving into work and everyone's going, well, wait a second. Why is he driving into work right now? Well, no, I was, I was driving into work hours ago. That, that's you're just finding that out now. That's kind of where I'm at on it. Right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm largely in the same boat. I, uh, to me, this story reads like a guy who wants to let people know he bid on the team. Like that he wants a line. I don't know if he has a Wikipedia page, but he wants a line in a Wikipedia page that says, you know, he bid on the commanders and apparently also, I guess, the Charlotte Hornets. The fact that, like, you know, obviously, people, you know, Brian Windhorst is a legit, uh, you know, reporter and really good and new, new NBA newsbreaker, but he's on this story too. So it came from the NBA side of things. It didn't come from the NFL side of things, presumably, if he was on the byline. And, that says to me, like, this is not exactly, like, again, like you said, I don't know, we'll see. But this is, to me, just more like, hey, I just want everybody to know I was here, you know. Uh, like, by the way, like, we if it was, like, a real bid, we would have heard that it would have been more than just he might bid on the team. It would have been he's got this partner, that partner. He's, you know, there right. would have been more to the story. It was just the name floated. So I didn't get worked up about it yesterday. Um, that's how I interpret it. And I have not, like, that. this is what I just said was my interpretation, not what people have told me. So, yeah, I'm so, not. So a couple of things on that. Like, I, first of all, I 100% agree with everything you just said. The fact that Windhorst is co-authoring the report, so to speak, tells you he got the nugget on the basketball side because this guy's trying to buy the Hornets, apparently, and I'm sure it came up to him. Yeah, he even went and took a tour of the facility for the commanders and, and talked about bidding for them. Like, he's, he's a serious player. He wants to own teams. And then he contacts Schefter on the football side of the ESPN and says, have you heard this? And Schefter goes, no, I didn't. Well, let me dig in on that. Then he gets it confirmed from either someone with the team or, or you know, someone high-ranking close to Snyder or what have you. So I think that's probably how it all played out. I think you're right. I would tell you, though, I do think there's value in just getting these names out there, right? I mean, I am, I've said this all along. Like, people have been asking me, who do you think it's going to be? And if I had to bet right now, if I had to go to the sports book and put money down, I'd say – Harris and rails at six or a little over six bill. And, and I would say in the, the coming days, you know, week, week, week or two, whatever, we'll find something out. Like that's my guess. That's my speculation right now. But I want to know who all these people are. Like, how can I possibly say it's not them when we don't know who, who's bidding? 
And we have all along heard uh, different names trickle out, whether that's Tillman Fertitta, Josh Harris has been along, you know, at uh, different points, you know, dating back to the beginning. But I was told that there were three people who took tours and a fourth was supposed to take a tour. And this was a few weeks ago that I was told this. Well, we know that Josh Harris and his group took a tour. We didn't know that Steve Apostolopoulos had taken a tour, and now we do. That's valuable. That's good. I saw John Keim report yesterday. I had not heard this. I don't know if you knew this or not, but that Tillman Fertitta has not yet taken a tour. I've been counting him as one of the guys who had because we know that supposedly he was pretty serious, over $5 billion in his interest uh, that he had pitched toward Dan Snyder verbally. So we still don't know the third person who took a tour. I was told it wasn't Bezos. So who else took a tour of the facility? I want to know that. Like, that's an important part of this story. So there is value in everything we learn. But to your point, did I go crazy yesterday trying to figure out more about Apostolopoulos? We didn't. We, we kind of, we had a little spelling bee. We had fun trying to say his name. And that was the end of the road. Because I, I didn't, until we hear something else, I don't view him as a, a like a very legitimate heavy favorite in this conversation. And I think you're right about this idea that, hey, if I'm in the mix here, I, I want people to know I'm in the mix. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that, that, I mean, for a lot of these owners, we talk about the money. A lot of this is just ego stroking and letting the world know I either have the means to, to possibly do this or that I did do it. And that's, you know, the, that's why a lot of these people do the, you know, buy these teams. So, yeah, you might as well let the people know that, you know, you were it, it, you, you had the wherewithal to put yourself in that in that position and you were interested in doing it. And I'll be real quick, but here's another thing I would throw out that I think is it seems important. How many times have you had people tell you, because I hear this every time I talk to someone, or have you just heard people on the air say this? Like Josh Harris was was a bidder or was in on the Broncos. Like it does seem like if you let's just say this guy, Apostolopoulos, eventually wants a team. It's going to be beneficial, whether it's Seattle or a team in four years. Like he was, he was in on the commanders. He toured the facility. It's almost to me like getting a head coaching interview in some way to get into the old boys club here before you get the job, right? Like he's, he's interviewed twice or this guy's getting interviews as a head coach. Like it almost gives you this credibility. So I think you want it known, even if you're not going to get the commanders or, or you got in late or you don't have the money, whatever it is, just the fact that he's been linked to this team then when the when the Seahawks are up, and if Bezos is still looking for a team, they'll be his, I'm sure. But you got to start with, okay, who are the guys that tried to get the Broncos? Because a few of them have come calling to Washington. And I just think you're now in that club. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. It's like how Byron Allen constantly got mentioned here as a potential candidate simply yeah. because he was a candidate in Denver, even though we never really, you know, again, maybe he's an anonymous person, but we've never really actually heard any detail that he was involved. Um, but, you know, he got mentioned and, you know, that sure certainly helps his brand if he you know, wants to keep pursuing a sports team some other where, somewhere else along the line um, for for sure. So, uh, you know, we don't have to get into the, too much of like where we're both at on this, where we're at with the owner situation, because, you know, again, I don't think much has changed since this week started. I've talked about it a few times and no doubt you have as well. So but just quickly, I guess the Twitter size, he kind of answer. Where are you at? I mean, Josh Harris, something could happen. 
in the next few days we could get some direction here that seems to be where the general uh sense of the world is right now is that kind of where you're at yeah i think so i mean for the first time in this entire process as of this weekend i thought it could happen at any moment right and that was you know it was why uh, i actually tweeted something along the lines of for people that have babies you know, it's time to, to keep your go bag in your car when you leave. And, and my point in saying that is I think we're at a point where you want to take your phone with you if you care about this story. You know, like this, we are at, based on what I have heard, like this is now close enough that it's, it's I think people are misunderstanding, too, how this is going to work. Like, it's not like in 10 minutes, Adam Schefter is going to say, uh, and I'm just going to use Harris as an example. Josh Harris is the new owner of the commanders like. No, there's a, an agreement that's going to be taking place based on the two sides being in the same ballpark financially. In the same way that someone walks through your house and says, well, what do you need to get this done? And you say, you know, $50,000 and they say done. That, that starts this process. When do we find that out? To me, that's the beginning of the end. And I think that could be any time now. I really believe that. Um, and then there's going to be a, a lot of paperwork behind the scenes and a lot of waiting for the rest of us while we set up the, the basically the vote, uh, which if they can get that all done ahead of this coming week would be great, but it's always seemed a little bit aggressive to me. And, and what I've heard all along was that the more realistic target was May, but I, I wouldn't rule out that they're doing this next week. I just wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, for, for, for sure. Where the, the, the Denver Broncos, it was two months between the day it was the agreement was announced and when the deal was officially approved. Uh, it's also, it is worth noting, though, and I think I heard Mike Florio talk about this on your show the other day, that since, as far as he can recall, and same for me, that every time somebody comes to agreement, they do eventually get uh, approved, the, with the one exception being Howard, the Howard Milstein group, in which Dan Snyder was the minority uh, partner there. Milstein was not approved. Snyder then later uh, put together a group, and obviously the rest is uh, the rest is history. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you on on that. Uh, how excited were uh, Magic Johnson? If, if Josh Harris gets involved in Magic Johnson's with that group, you know, minority owners have you know, no real say in anything. In fact, I would say, and I'm not saying this because you know, I said this to Kevin the other day on the radio, that Kevin has more say, more sway with what goes on than the minority owner does because at least Kevin has a voice. The owner, minority owner is not going to typically say boo. And, you know, they're just putting up a lot of money and whatever. They get good stuff out of for doing that. But I do think the, the Magic Johnson situation, depending on... You know, he obviously has tons of other ventures going on, depending on how willing he is to be involved, I think is actually a huge opportunity because to go from Dan Snyder, who he represents as a person, his, you know, he the biggest recluse owner who nobody likes to Magic Johnson, one of the most charismatic, gregarious, you know, popular athletes, people of all time, right, is so huge. I really think that that's the type of thing that could get people um, to you know, not just be excited that Dan's out, but to get excited to actually become involved again, to to buy tickets or whatever. I actually think this is a potentially big deal, assuming he is involved in sort of that, you know, frontman way to a degree. Yeah, their current ownership group is the least cool. 
and has the lowest approval rating in football unofficially by my metrics. You know, that is the Dan and Tanya Snyder group in D.C. And when you add Magic Johnson, it's the antithesis of that. You're now the coolest and everybody wants you at their party uh, from an ownership standpoint. Now, that's so overrated for the right. Like you just said this. I mean, I'll say it differently, hopefully. But, you know, if you're a minority owner, you get a cut of the proceeds and the checks. So that's nice. It's a, it's a cash cow. The NFL is you're just going to keep making money. And you get to have some cool birthday parties for your grandkids, right? You know, you get to bring them to camp and, you know, they get to sit in the the, the suites. I mean, that, that's what this is. Let's, let's just call it what it is. So the idea of, like, Magic Johnson being a major needle mover and people buying tickets because of it, like, I think there's a reality to that. I think you're right. I, I also think that's ridiculous. I mean, he is going to be very little to not involve probably at all, I would imagine. But he, here's the here's the proof in the pudding. Like, when I think of the Dodgers ownership group, I couldn't tell you who their actual functioning owner is, and I cover baseball. Like, I think of Magic Johnson, right? My mom texted me. It's a true story. Uh, the morning after that story broke, so it was, you know, middle of the day. I talked about it on the air for two and a half, three hours of our show, right? The next morning, I woke up to a, a, a text from my mom, and it was like a screen grab from something on Facebook. She's like, Magic Johnson's going to own the Commanders? With a bunch of question marks. She's never texted me about Josh Harris. You know, she's never texted me about Mitchell Rails or, or uh, you know, anybody else for that matter. And so that that's the whole point, isn't it, right? And whether it's it, he actually is going to call shots or, or make decisions or not, it's cool. It's like, that's awesome. I'll tell you right now, if I was going to some type of party at a restaurant in Ashburn to welcome in the new owners and it was uh, Rails and Harris, that would be cool to, to be invited and to go and to put on a suit and shake their hands. But I wouldn't be like jacked up to go. I'm not taking pictures with those dudes. If I got to be Magic Johnson, that would be one of the five coolest celebrities I've ever met in my life. You know, that would be one of the top, I don't know, three to five athlete interactions I've probably ever had. I'd put Jordan above him and, and, and we can start debating after that. So that's why this thing's cool. That's why it matters. But it really largely from a football standpoint or like a decision-making standpoint, I just don't think he'd be overly involved, but this is, this is what you do like this. And if you're smart, this is good business. Bring in cool people, find a, a performer, a singer or an actor like that. It's needle moving. That's why you do it. It's an exciting thing. So I thought it was really smart. And uh, I, I think people are correctly pumped about it. All right. So the owner stuff was question two, question three, you can give me a quickie on this one. Uh, I'll give you a, qu- a chance to think about this. We've obviously, I think, uh, been just thinking about, okay, if a new owner comes in, he's going to have a laundry list of of things to deal with. You know, what happens ultimately with the head coach? Maybe that's an uh, after-the-season thing, but what happens there? What about the stadium? Some people want maybe the, uh, the name to be changed again, whatever it is. What for you is something that maybe in these conversations we haven't discussed that much? It may be a, a more low-key, a subtle thing something that's a, a, a smart thought that just hasn't been put out there as much as to what the new ownership group needs to do upon taking control uh, for this thing on the field, off the field, whatever it is. Well, there's a couple of obvious ones really quickly, right? I mean, I think that the first thing they should really work heavily on is trying to secure uh, the RFK site and build a stadium in the city. I think that would be, an absolute game changer, the likes of which nothing else they could do 
uh, would be able to accomplish from just a sheer reinvigoration of the fan base standpoint. So that'd be the first thing I'd work on. Um, second thing, which is also obvious, I think they got to make a quick decision on what they're doing with the name, the logo, the imaging. I think it, you, you stick with commanders. I think too many changes in a short time is, is a detriment. Uh, my co-host Danny and most of the people I work with at the fan all think that whoever the new owner is should change the name again to something better uh, than commanders and something that the fan base likes better. I got to be honest, like, I I don't really care either way at this point. I'm not a fan of the new name. I don't love it, but I also think that, you know, four names in six seasons or whatever is outrageous. Uh, So uh, at that point, I, you know, I'm not overly interested, but I do think that's a a big deal and something that needs to be done very quickly. My answer, though, when you talk about subtlety or behind, like something that we don't hear a lot about, this is not groundbreaking, but I don't hear people talk about it. Uh, I hope that the new owner, soon after getting here, uh, they're probably going to go into the season with status quo. They have to. They find and evaluate who the best general manager is that they can get here next year. Uh, if that means you got to trade for someone in, in football, if that means you got to pry them away with the president title of football operation, I don't really care. Uh, I would hire that person. I would pay them. All of the money, I would break records for what you pay an executive. And I would empower them, and I would say, go find me a head coach. And then that head coach gets to pick a quarterback. And in my first meeting, I would say, you know, the the GM is going to pick the head coach, and the head coach is going to pick his quarterback. That's not something you guys have done here in close to 40 years. And it's how we're going to do it moving forward. And that would be my dream. And that's what I hope that group does. Yeah, no doubt. The, the lack of a, a true GM here, like a, like it's always here. It's always largely been the owner and then the coach gets too much power. I mean, sometimes it can be fine, but like, or, or it's the opposite way where it's like, you know, Jay Gruden has like no power uh, and Bruce Allen is uh, kind of overseeing everything. So I'm with you. That I'm with you on the GM thing. My, my basic thing would be, and this is not even really a thing to do. It's a thing not to do. And that is like, it's like when people keep talking about Lamar Jackson, and why you know, the new a new owner should go get him, just as an example. I don't want any of this. Not because of Lamar Jackson. I understand he would be, you know, a, a, an upgrade. And, you know, we can debate whether he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback or whatever. But my thing is, like, the, the new owner, he doesn't have to do what a lot of new owners do and make a big splashy move to show the world he's here. He This new owner will be like like the event, like one of the Avengers. He will come in with so so much popularity, so much so much room to 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 take his time. Ticket sales will go up purely for that for the sale. He doesn't have to do anything to get people to be interested or excited. Now it becomes like let's take your take your time, figure this thing out. What's going to happen? And maybe in four months you decide to go get Lamar if that's the thing. But like, don't be rash. Get the team. Soak it in, let people be excited about it, and then figure out how to do stuff. You don't have to make a big move to say, look at me, here I am. I love it, yeah, and I agree with you. And they shouldn't. Like, I feel that way about if I'm taking over a a radio show, you know, I'm going to another market. Like, you don't immediately start calling shots and saying, let's change this, this, and this. Like, see what works and what doesn't, right? I think everyone can relate to this in their own field. If you run restaurants and you're taking a new place over, you don't walk in and just blow everybody out and do it the way that you did it at your last place. I, you know, you, you don't know this market. 
yet. I mean, I know Harris has some ties here if it's him, but it's it's not on that level. Like the way that you run the Devils needs to be different than the way you run the 76ers. We talk about this with Ted Leonsis a lot. Like the formula in hockey and basketball is different and not the same and works in one and maybe not the other. And I know it's something I talked a lot about from a baseball perspective where I think the way he runs the Capitals would be really successful as a way of running the Nationals. But it doesn't work in the NBA as well. And it's not surprising to me that the way that they operate sometimes is a struggle because I think the philosophies are similar and the sports are different. And if you're Harris, like, I don't want you to do all of the same things with the commanders that you do with the 76ers. So see what works, what doesn't. See who's good and who isn't. You don't have to blow everyone out right away. It's actually why uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Nikki Javala's reporting at the Washington Post. I think she crushes it. She's really good. She's one of my favorite reporters in town, other than Ben Standing of The Athletic, I should point out. Thank um, you. Thank you. But, uh, but Nikki has, and others do this, like, like kept tabs on how many presidents or vice presidents are being fired or like leaving the team and like that to me is not i don't care about that you know in the sense of like why we we thought it was poorly run before but now we care how many people are leaving and how quickly like okay this is what you should be doing and it shouldn't have all been on day one like jason wright should get here and he should see is this guy any good is this woman good at what she does and in six months, if the answer's no, then get someone in who is. So that's how I hope the owners operate. Um, all right. You, you got time for uh, the football part now? Yeah. What do you got? All right. Question four. Let's get to the football stuff. We're a week and a half into free agency, a little uh, give or take. They obviously, it's been very quiet this week. I don't even know if they've done, have they done any? I mean, they've done, I guess, a couple minor things um, this week, but uh, they lost Cam Sims, things like that. But they added a few pieces last week, a couple offensive linemen, a linebacker, and of course Jacoby Brissett being the probably the bigger thing. I'm not counting Deron Payne. He was just he was already here. Are the commanders at this point? And I understand the draft is ahead and still free agency, you know, you can sign people. But right now, are they better, the same, or worse since free agency started? I will say they are minimally better than they were. Um well, you said since free agency started. So I think they're better because I think the enemy is an upgrade from Scott Turner and has to be baked into the conversation. Sure. Yeah, you can say the, the offseason. I mean, how, what, yeah. however you want to phrase it. You know. Yeah, if we're just talking free agency, I would say not really. No, I don't think they're particularly better. Um, look, here's my thing on what they've done. And it's just a disagreement that I have with this group. And I'm not pretending to know more about football than them. I'm not that guy. They know more about football and, you know, the, their fingernails and the sim- in an assemble of, that they hold in their hand than I know about football. I just philosophically disagree with them on a lot of things. And one of those things is building a roster and spending and getting creative with how you field your team. And they are, again, being really conservative. They operate as if they are petrified of the salary cap in an era where teams don't do that anymore because the cap's exploding and can be finagled. People that say it's not a thing are wrong, but people who think it's the end-all, be-all, and it's some rock that can't you know, be uh, molded are incorrect, too. And they act like it's just this hard and fast number that's the scary monster under the bed, and that's always annoyed me. Uh, I, I can't believe that going into Ron Rivera's fourth year, after basically three losing seasons, 
I know that they won a division in his first year with seven wins and, and that they technically were eight, eight and one this year. But this is now go time. Like it is make the playoffs or you're looking for a gig time. And I would even say you should probably have to win a playoff game this year to feel really, really good. Depending on if you, you know, if you go 11 and six or something, fine. But if, if you're nine and eight and make the playoffs and, and then you, you know, lose in the first round, I don't think it's a lock. Everyone should be coming back after four years. Like you've had plenty of time here. And, and with that backdrop, they're just kind of operating like, you know, like a year one plan. Uh, they bring in a new version that's worse of Wes Schweitzer on the interior, in my opinion. They go get a tackle who gave up nine sacks last year. And I like Wiley fine. I actually do. But he signed on day one of free agency below market, which tells me everything I need to know about how big the market was right. for him. Uh, so, that, like, I'm not excited about that move. That was their biggest move. I also think it's fairly inexplicable that they've done so little in terms of, hey, they went and got a linebacker for a couple million bucks. They got a lineman who makes below market. They got a guard who's a backup. Uh, and their salary cap space evaporated. Like, there was clearly no creativity in how they spent means that a lot of the cap numbers in year one were, were about the same as the AAV. Like, that's not how team structure deals anymore. Again, I, I just don't really get where is my urgency. I'm a guy that, that wants them to continue to get better. I know this is crazy, but I want them to continue to add on offense. And, and when I talk to people over there or certainly people that talk, you know, media people locally that talk to them a lot, they think, well, we're really good at wide receiver. I agree. We're really good at running back. Okay, you're pretty good. We, they like their tight ends a lot. Like, where should we be getting better? Well, number one, you said you're going to be ultra aggressive in the offensive line. You haven't been. So now you, you almost need to draft an O-lineman early to, to satisfy that requirement. But where I would I would have signed Dalton Schultz, who got way below market value. I think it's outrageous that they, they weren't in a, on a tight end to go make 65, 70 catches for their kid quarterback. They spend no money on QB, Ben, so that they can spend everywhere else. So – Good. Go get them a weapon at tight end where you were inferior last year. They're banking on their young guys. That's fine. They, they are rolling with Logan Thomas. It's been a couple of years since he gave them what they brought him into. Dalton Schultz is 26 and ultra productive and, and just signed a one-year deal for like six million bucks. To me, that you, you should be doing that. They should be trying to uh, – outside the box. Like The Bengals can't sign T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. See what it takes to get T. Higgins, and, and maybe you move Curtis Samuel if they have to. Like, they don't think that way. It's, it's kind of just like they look at the roster and go, we're set. And and that's not what the Eagles did last offseason when they were in good shape and decided to get A.J. Brown and C.J. Gardner-Johnson anyway. You know, and I just think we're in an era where you're aggressive and you go get Matt Stafford, you get rewarded for it. You're, you, you find a way to bring in Tom Brady and you get rewarded. I, I don't understand teams that just kind of sit and play this long game. And I think that's what this group does. And maybe you can win that way ultimately, but I don't think you have to do it that way these days. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, they haven't, you know, I'm still waiting for like some contract to get restructured. Kendall Fuller, Charles Leno, like guys. Okay. You want to keep them around? Cool. But like their cap number relative to, you know, what they are is it, you know, there's, there's, there's room to maneuver there, you know, do something there. And then like you mentioned, Logan Thomas, I, I was definitely that he was the number one for me of the guy I would have bet was going to get released or at a minimum, you know, re salary uh, decrease or restructure or something. Uh, you're right. I mean, his cap hit this year, Logan Thomas is over 8 million. 
and uh, Dalton Schultz signed a one-year $9 million deal. So the cap hit essentially for this year is going to be roughly the same. Mike Gusecki is the other one I was looking at. He signed for nothing with the Patriots. I mean, he'll get, you know, he's got incentives to move up, but that's, I mean, that guy I think is like a legit playmaker. Um, So I'm with you on that front, but I think at a minimum, what they've done is they've, they've given themselves, they've given themselves credible lineups on both sides of the ball. Other than the fact that we don't know who the fifth defensive back would be. You can pretty much right now pen pen in who's going to be the starters. And I'm not saying that's like an improvement. I'm with you. I think they've minimally improved. I just think that they've given themselves the out. So now when they go into the draft, they can, they can kind of take whatever they want rather than having to definitively say we have to do X or Y. Um, that's the one thing I guess they've done, but it doesn't, it's not overly inspiring. Um, I would agree with, uh, with that. Yeah, I guess my, my other point would be, you know, the, the Schultz, I think, can be up to nine, I think is what I saw. Like the, the value is 6.25. But regardless, I mean, let's say it's nine. That's still well below market for the, the caliber of player he is. And you can save five million of that number by moving on from Logan Thomas as an example. But I, I guess, um, you know, my question to you would be, how did they run out of cap space based on what they've done? That I don't understand that. Like they have three million left, I think, which is bottom five in the league. They were top ten when the, the the market started, and you know I think fans generally think, well, when you sign a guy for three and twenty four, eight per year, that means his cap number is eight. And obviously, you know that's not how it works. But I I was stunned as I saw their cap number updated the other day because they haven't made a splash move. They haven't really acquired forget a, a standout player like a, a legitimate splash and they went from having a good bit of money to not and i just kind of wonder how that happened what i'm interested in is where did their money go because it's not like signing a guy for three and 24 means he has to have an eight million dollar cap number this year so maybe they structured it this way on purpose but it seems like they had a good bit of cap space that's now gone without really doing anything all that impressive yeah, so you know, obviously Duran Payne, you know, that that gets done, right? He wasn't really counting on the books until he had signed anything, which you you know, the with the tag. But that gave them nine million more this offseason. Well, it saved them more based on the tag, but like right, but I don't know if the tag number was showing up in the It in, was. They, they were close. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was showing up on like over the cap and those sites as you know, after the nineteen became smaller. And they made nine million dollars in cap space this year, but the number was there. All right. Well, so they, and they were uh, still in the top eleven, I think, in the league in cap space. Right, right, right. So yeah, so Jacoby Brissett's eight million counts all all at once. So basically, Brissett and Payne equals the original franchise tag, more or less. Uh, if they had done that, uh, Cody Barton three and a half million doesn't seem like a big number necessarily, but. When I looked it up the other day, he was like the 15th or 16th highest cap hit on the team. Just, you know, that does us how that works. And then Nick Gates is another 3.2 million this year. Cameron Dantzler, 2.75 million. Danny Johnson, 2.4 million. Obata, 2 million. So, yeah, nothing huge. I guess it's just nicks and cuts along the way. And, you know, we see constantly. This is why, for the record, I don't like all these small little one-year deals. Like, it's, it's something they seem to like to do. Like, if you're bringing in Barton, 
give him two years and a smaller cap number this year. And maybe if you have to pay him a little bit in, you know, non-guaranteed dead money next year or whatever. But I just, again, it's just a, a way they do it that I don't love it. Right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. But also, like I said, like we see constantly teams around the league restructure deals and that create X amount of money, you know, again, uh, you could do that. Like, you know, give, if you want to give Curtis Samuel another year, you could, that would be a way to do it. He has the second highest cap hit on the team at 13 million. Charles Leno has the third highest 12.5 million. His dead cap is only 4.5 million. There's $8 million to play with there that they are not doing it, but maybe they don't want to, you know, they don't know if they want to keep him beyond this year. And Kendall Fuller is in the same kind of a boat, so, yeah, um, I think what you're saying there makes sense. It is weird. Like, they have – I was just looking this up. They have the 28th – they're 28th in, in remaining cap uh, cap space, according to uh, Spotrack or however we say that, um, which seems weird, like you said, when they haven't really exactly been splashy uh, this offseason, which is kind of what I think we anticipated uh, occurring. Um so that's odd. I, 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 okay. So let me get to the, what I want to get to last year. Question five. This is the most I- interesting thing to me because I'm a, I'm a draft nerd. The draft is where they can, you know, when we talk about are they better, or worse, whatever. The draft is where things can definitely change. If they get, they hit on the right players, they made the right moves, they, you know, they, they add, they, they fill in the remaining space, add some upside players, people can be excited. Every time I've been doing a mock draft so far, I've been trading down from Washington at 16, partly because you and I both like that. We get the extra picks. Um, you know, there's value, especially in this draft. You can get offensive linemen and cornerbacks later in round one, round two, things like that. And then you can add extra picks along the way. So I think those are all a lot of good things. Um, and if I said to you right now, what are their top needs? You would, I presume, would agree with in some order, offensive line, cornerback, linebacker, tight end I'll, I'll put quarterback separate because that's just the whole other thing is that the the four just in general that's does that, does that seem right yeah i think so although the linebacker thing i think is a bigger conversation because I, I don't think they care at all about linebacker really correct correct so I, I don't expect i think it would be a big waste of time and energy and effort and a pick to draft one early because you know last year at times they played one you know they had david may on the field they were fine with it so Okay. I wouldn't put it that high. Right. I, I'm with you. Okay. But I'm saying in general, like if we had to do a list for, you know, you say what are their top needs? Those are probably the four people would, 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 would prattle on about. When, when the draft, when we started looking at the draft class initially, my thought was, boy, the draft lines up really nicely for them because offensive tackle and cornerback, it really looks like there's going to be options there potentially at both spots at 16. The thing is though, when you look at, it's assuming the mock drafts are, you know, a, 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 a harbinger of things to come. The top three offensive tackles are all getting picked before 16. And then there was like other offensive linemen will get picked, but there's a bit of a gap after the, the first three. Cornerbacks, uh, Christian Gonzalez from Oregon and Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. I kind of feel like neither of those guys are going to be available. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. would be there. He's like next. I don't really think he's a perfect fit for them. He's a press corner. We went through, you know, n- we went through this with, with William Jackson and, you know, I, I just don't think he's like the ideal fit. And there's a lot of corners that you can get later on in this draft. And so I started thinking about, well, what else could you do here? And then the other day uh, this week, we had a, a beat writer mock draft at the athletic 
And because I was having fun, I traded down from 16 to 23 and got some extra picks. And I was prepared to take an offensive lineman there. But as the board kept coming to me in this mock draft, two players were there that, that were, I was like sort of freaking me out. One was Lucas Van Ness, the defensive end from Iowa. The other is Nolan Smith, the defensive end from Georgia. And what was freaking me out was at some point, like I don't, I think I always think you draft best player available in the need spots that you have never just purely best player available. That's just sort of silly thinking, but at some point the, the value becomes too great to ignore. And in this case, again, based on projections and things, Van Ness is a guy who could go top 12 and Nolan Smith is sort of in that range as well. So I started thinking, well, what am I going to do here if I can't trade down again? Now I did then trade down again. So I didn't have to panic, but here's what it got me thinking, Grant. And this is what I want to know what you think about this. If I said to you, they should consider drafting a defensive end, not tackle an end in the first round, you would murder me. I assume, right? Everybody would be like, what are you talking about? Willis? That is insane. By the way, that was a eight, eight million year old reference. Uh, right. It makes no sense on the surface to draft a defensive end. But then I started thinking about it. Let's just assume that those guys are there and Washington, Washington's board has them effectively at the top of the best available or something like that. I don't know if you realize this. This is not like breaking news per se, but I hadn't thought about it in this way. As it stands right now, Washington's top five defensive ends, Montez Sweat, Chase Young, James Smith-Williams, um, Casey Tuhill, and F.A. Obata, all of them right now are free agents after this season, assume, based on their current contracts. And maybe Chase Young gets uh, his, his fifth option picked up, but all of them are free agents after this year. That's not great. And then I started, no. think, and then I started thinking about this. I guarantee last year, I'm pretty positive you were vocal about this, saying that a big hole for this team right now, especially partly because Chase Young was hurt, but a big hole on this team was the third defensive end. Who's going to pick up that Ryan Kerrigan spot from a year before, or who's this going to come in in general and be a guy that gives you pass rush off the bench when it's a spot where you do rotate players in and out? That position was lacking. Well, we're not even – nobody's even remotely talking about that anymore this year, even though I think Smith-Williams and Tuhill did a fine job last year. Absolutely. But combined, I think they had like four, three or four sacks. Uh, F.A. Obata had a few as well, but like, you know, like it's not like they couldn't still use that third spot. So when I start thinking about this more and more, oh, and then one last component, the money, right? The part of this whole conversation we've all been having, and I think I've been kind of probably talking about this too much or maybe or at least maybe the most is that, you know, you can't realistically keep all four of these guys on extensions. They've already extended two. And now if they pick up Chase Young's fifth year option, you're probably saying goodbye to Montez Sweat, I would say, because then next year you would you can't pay all four of them at least $17 million. But, you know, what's interesting is if you draft a defensive end in the first round this year, you'd have a rookie contract paired with throughout the duration of the Allen Payne deal, and you could still then, I guess, keep Young or Sweat, and now not only does it, it's, it works a little bit better, but now the talent drop-off is not necessarily – significant either so i'm not saying that this was what i would do this was in my first in the mock i just did i didn't pick a defensive end but for the first time i actually thought about it and i actually think there is merit to it where before i wouldn't even have considered it so 
I would not be mad about that or upset because my current plan, I think you always kind of have to have your, you know, one year, three year, five year, whatever. My current plan right now is that Chase Young walks at the end of this season because I'm not giving him a fifth year extension and I'm not banking on some meteoric breakout. Now I'll adjust when that happens. And I hope that it does. He looks like the guy that I drafted out of Ohio state and he goes and gets 11 and a half sacks. Okay, now you pay him money, and it's a good problem to have. But I'm not giving him a fifth-year option. I'm not picking that up. I think there's a chance they do. I think it'd be malpractice, and I think it'd be outrageous to pay him $17 million next year based on what we've seen to this point, and specifically you know, the injury last year and what we saw with the lengthy recovery and then eventually how he looked post-injury. Like, There's a ton of questions, so it's an earn-it year for him. I'm paying sweat and keeping them very likely, but to your point, they haven't yet. And until they get a deal in place, your top two ends, forget about the other guys who are some of them replacement level. You could probably get deals done with them pretty quickly, pretty easily if you needed to. Right. You know, those two guys could walk. You're looking for an impact guy who go get the double digit sacks. That's available in the draft. Otherwise you got to spend a ton of money on that. It's one of the most expensive things to do in free agency. So if you actually think you need a starting defensive end who can get to the quarterback, just from a team-building standpoint, the best way to land that player is, is early in the draft, and that's kind of been proven out over time. And Otherwise, you're really paying a premium. So you'll get pushback from a lot of people on that. I won't be one of those people. Uh, in that, you know, I think people say, well, it's going to be sweating young on most downs this year, and, and I would say, great. You're also layering for the future. Beyond the point, uh, any of those two guys could miss time or get hurt, and you could have all three on the field at once again. I, I preach creativity on offense and going outside the box where you think you're set adding more talent. Like that's okay to do when you're bottom 12 in the league in offense, bottom five more often than not the last few years in a lot of categories. Like you shouldn't be saying we're set anywhere. You should be trying to upgrade everywhere. And I feel the same way about end. Um, you know, the, the only thing I'd say is I, I think that the way they've operated this off season has made the offensive line, a necessity early in the draft. Uh, they could have just gone and, and gotten a, a high-end guard and paid good money or a high-end tackle and, and kind of thrown money at a problem. They didn't, in my opinion. And so when you went with Sam Howell, I still remember the first day I heard about this plan. I think it was the day that uh, uh, Jonathan Jones or whoever it was, whatever the guy's name is from CBS, had the report. And I started asking people around the team. And they said, yeah, we're going with Sam Howell. That's the plan. That's what I've heard. And at that time, it was two-pronged. It was Sam Howell's the guy, and the O-line's going to be a ton better. Like, if this, is, this is how it has to go. And right now, the O-line isn't a ton better. So my belief is you trade down, you can get guards, you can get centers, if, if that's what they think they need to do, depending on Rouillet's health. In the second round, that can start. In the late first round, that can start. If you want to tackle, you probably got to stay put at 16 and take the best on the board. Uh, I think they probably are going to roll with Wiley at right tackle, Leno at left tackle. And so that's where I trade back. And one of my first couple picks is a starting guard. Uh, I hope either then that Chris Paul can compete for the other spot or that somebody gets cut that I can add closer to the start of the season that I like a lot. Um, but then, you know, if you add one more legitimate starter in the draft, the line at least looks better, right? Because they think they've gotten better from Cosme to Wiley at right tackle. I would say they're similar, but, but they know better than I do. 
Uh, and then at least you have upgraded at one of those two guard spots pretty substantially if you get a starter somewhere in the first round or early second round, maybe, if, if they traded down as you're talking about. But if the question is as simple as, is it crazy to draft the defensive end, my answer is no. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad I'm glad to see we're on the same page. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it just would not have, you know, uh, you know, they, they obviously have invested so much in that spot, but, you know, I, I do think it makes some sense. And also, I think if I did this, if, if this was the plan, if this is what I thought what could happen, I think I got to look to trade Sweater Young now. I mean, there's no – because, like, if you're Rivera well, – Here's your problem, though, Ben. I, you're not getting anything for Chase Young right now, I don't think. Well, that's that, that's the that's the wonder. But, like, if you're Rivera, the, the like, you you know, you got to win now, as we're saying. So, like, the idea of, like, adding a, a Lucas Van Ness now, but then he's, like, at best the, the third guy, and his real value won't come until the future. And then, you know, like that – like that may not be the ideal situation, um, but but yeah, I, I, it, it's 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 all interesting, and I think to me, I guess I would just say, I, I just think it's something to marinate on and 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 consider because if it were to happen, and I don't think it's inconceivable at all, I think that um, people would have their heads their heads would blow off, which I get, but there's actually a lot more merit to it than than one would think, except that you're you know you're. I think the thing is you're already saying goodbye to younger sweat right now. We just don't know which one. And this would sort of just be like, okay, we actually are definitely going to say goodbye to one of them at least. And now here's the replacement. And maybe it makes sense to figure out how to move on now. Yeah. I think after you paid Duran Payne, you have Allen and Payne, you can't have sweat and young. And obviously sweat would be the leader in the clubhouse, but that's dependent upon this football season, right? Because sweat while, more productive and better so far in his career than Young has been uh, pretty clearly, like has not shown a ceiling of even where Kerrigan was from a sack counting standpoint, which is not the end all be all. That is what gets guys paid. But if you look at pressure rate, some other things, there have been some times where sweat's been super impactful and really, really good. Uh, but if, if Young has a breakout monster year and shows some ceiling, maybe that exceeds where sweat was, then he's the guy maybe that you decide to double down on and pay at that point. You know, this is a whole nother story for a whole nother podcast. I'm in the very much in the minority. I, I would not have paid Deron Payne what they did. I think one of the only people in town that feels that way. It's not that I don't like Deron Payne. I love him. He's a great football player. But I'm not paying two defensive tackles that money. I, I believe too much in spending on offense and scoring points and going and getting weapons. And we're talking about right now a, you know, a team that has a couple million in cap space, bottom five in the NFL, and their quarterback makes half a million. And that's pretty hard to do. Uh, but one of the ways you do that is when you give almost $40 million in cap to two defensive tackles. Um, and one of those guys you're paying, you know, unbelievable most money in the league other than Aaron Donald position for one year that is unlike any other year that he's had at any point. And in fact, his pressure rates and some, some of those things last year weren't that different than all those years before, you know, where he was getting probably unlucky, should have had maybe five, five and a half, six sacks. He's an outstanding player. Like he, He's going to be a five- to seven-sack guy every year for me. But next year, I think it's really unlikely that he's going to be up around 11, and you paid him as if you know, that's what he is. And I, I just think you know, even if he has the exact same year from a pressure standpoint, sacks are so fleeting that uh, finishing those plays, is, it's kind of quirky. And if he has four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half sacks next season, it's going to be viewed badly, even if it isn't, because he has, let's say, a great year. Um, but that's probably another story for another time. But it, it does complicate. The reason it's relevant right now, I'd say, is it complicates the defensive end position. 
and bigger picture as we're talking about money, I mean, it, it changes the whole arithmetic on the whole roster. It does indeed. All right, look, uh, to, as a, to use the Howard Stern line, you said it all until you go back on the radio today and say a lot more. Uh, Grant Paulson, at Grant H. Paulson on Twitter, Grant Danny Show. Uh, well, I should know, 2, two to two to 6.30, right? You got it. You're right well, there. You I, got I, it. I don't know why I don't, I, you know, it's not, it's not like I haven't been on your show before. 2 to 6.30, 1067 The Fan, listen on the Odyssey app. All that good stuff. Plus, Grant is all is you know very excited to talk about baseball. I know we had a fun watching the the uh, the World Baseball Classic. So, uh, you know he's on, he's on a high right now, especially if the Dan Snyder thing uh, goes through. Uh, my guy, appreciate it. Enjoy uh, enjoy your radio today. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. All right, many thanks to everyone for checking out the podcast. Appreciate Grant Paulson's time as always. Uh, Go check out The Athletic again, a dollar deal right now, a dollar a month for 12 months. It's hard to beat that. Um, But that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time, see ya.